0: Our Father, as a nation, we indeed celebrate grace. We uh, we sense that you indeed have shed your grace on our country. Uh, the reason that she has so excelled, the reason that she is what she is today, is because you saw fit to pour grace and mercy on a land, on a region, on a nation, on a people. And made her into something that we have grown to love. And yet, oh God, it is a nation that is run amok. She has forgotten the, um, the founding principles of God's sovereign rule over all the earth. And so we are now left to drift on a, on a, a sea of moral indifference and even moral hatred of the God. and I pray O oh God that you will forgive us as a land and that you will continue to use the church of Jesus Christ to call this nation to a repentance a repentance that will fix us upon the finished work of Jesus Christ but father our nation is not the only place that celebrates grace our church does we are a people who have come to understand that that being forgiven is not something that was ever earned or merited or deserved. The fact that we are reconciled to you and that we are sons and daughters of the living God is because you found a way, you made a way for sinners to be forgiven. And so as a as a church corporate, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you, we worship you. That you have displayed your propensity to forgive in the grandest display of grace. But Father, it's not only our church that celebrates grace. It is us as individuals. We're glad that there's so many people in this room that know and love the Lord Jesus. But we're glad we do. As a person, to a person, we're grateful that your grace has found out us. That it has searched us down and tracked us across the, across the labyrinthine years and brought us to the place of glad, willing, joyful, worshipful submission to the God who made us and redeemed us in Christ. Oh God, we are um, everlastingly, eternally in your debt. And so we are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. We have been bought with a price, the price of spilled blood. And so, Father, be be pleased by what you see emanating from the hearts and souls and minds of your people this day. Our Father, thank you for the privilege of giving. Uh, The privilege is really ours. We're the ones that get to say no to our flesh so that we can give. And life is intended to be one grand and glorious gift as we return it to the one who first gave it. So take these monies, and I pray that you will provide for all of the needs that Gracie Van has, but that Gracie Van might take these monies and spend them very carefully, cautiously, um, soberly, as we seek to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is, of course, in that name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. My text is verse 25, but I'm going to read you verse 24 as well. So 24 and 25 of the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Roman church. You follow in your copies. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I want to start by giving you just a bit of an explanation about my title. I don't know whether you saw or noticed my title. It's called Midlife Archaeology. That's not an original phrase. I found it in a book. I've done a little bit of reading of late on the issue of midlife. And so I took that title from one of those books. You know, I've told you in the past. Um, if it's not in a book or on a tape, I don't know it. I, so that came from those books. But the the idea of midlife is normally associated with another word that sits right next to it when it appears. And it's normally the word crisis. Midlife crisis. Now, Dr. Young, if that's what you're going to talk about, I'm going to work on my grocery list because that doesn't apply to me. Well, before you shut down, let me, let me say something real quick. Um, in one of those books, one of the authors said that in terms of midlife, you've got one of three options. Either you're in it and you need help through it, or you're, um, it's in front of you and you need to prepare for it, or you've been through it and you need somebody to explain it to you. So th- that's what this is going to be about. A little brief series this summer on the, the whole idea of midlife archaeology. The, the word archaeology, you know what that word means. I mean... You know what archaeology does? They dig around until they understand things better. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend four, five, six weeks or so uh, digging around um, so that we can explain things and understand things better. This is this is really not so much about a, a period in your life as it is about life, all of it. So um, we're going to dig around and see if we can not understand things a bit better. That's what this is all about, guys. You know, the uh, the hero or one of the heroes of the uh, AARP crowd, uh, of which I happen to be a part, um, is a guy by the name, an astronaut, a former astronaut by the name of John Glenn, who, and, and, and I forget exactly how old he was, but he, he was in a, uh, you know, a space shuttle shot. I think it was 71 or something like that. Well, he was one of the heroes. But it was John Glenn who said, um, there has not yet been found a remedy for the common birthday. And uh, indeed, he's right, folks. Uh, Bette Midler, who is uh, no hero in any way, said, um, after age 30, the body has a mind of its own. Boy, ain't that the truth. And then a true hero, uh, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones. Uh, Harrison Ford said, you know that you're getting older when all of the names in your little black book have MD after them. Well, um, Tis true, guys. Um, uh, you know, youth, which doesn't last as long as we had hoped, youth kind of lulls you into a stupor, a stupor of invincibility. You know, um, who in their youth took time out to consider and meditate? on the their great shortcomings and and how um uh, how dependent and weak they really were we we just never did that back in the days of our youth but uh, those days for many of us have come and gone and um if they haven't they will soon for you too mine mine are gone the, those days of youth they're gone and um they didn't last as long as I'd hoped but um although i'm um, I'm not grossly overweight, my uh, my body has um, morphed into a a thickness, <laughs> a girth that is not altogether scintillating. Um, you know um, uh, w- when I get up in the morning, my body talks to me in ways that uh, are downright disrespectful uh, <laughs> that, and, and, and not very um, complimentary or, or enjoyable, my stomach, which was once impervious to, the, to the, the most violent of cuisines, has all of a sudden developed this strange new unwelcome sensitivity. It talks to me. Um, it says things like, um, not too much of that red meat, you idiot. You know, and if you gotta eat it, eat it early. Not so much f- fried food. fatso. So, what do you think you're doing? You know, and put out that salt shaker, and uh, drink water. Don't drink anything with caffeine in it. And if you gotta drink anything, get finished with it before eight o'clock, <laughs> because I'll let you know about it. It's all. It's all so sad. You know, uh, and yet inevitable. Um, physical prowess is uh, is a lot like oxygen. You know, you, you never miss it until it's gone. Um, youth has a lot of oxygen. Dang them. Um, but in, in, um, they'll, um, they'll discover the same things that many of us have discovered in time. Now, guys, um, in, in view of all that, um, Which I hope is in some way introductory. I want you to take a look at our text. It's really verse 25, because in that text there is something. There is a fatal mistake that is mentioned, and and I hope by the time we're finished that you will see the mistake and just how fatal it can be. Um, It's it's that statement there in verse 25 that I want to elucidate. As we chat this morning, you know, we we all know that um, aging and and the weakness associated with it are significant and and inevitable parts of of all of our life story. Um, You know, I heard somebody say this week that um, once a man, twice a child. I guess the key word in my previous sentence was the, is the word inevitable. It's inevitable. So if it's so inevitable, why is, it, why is it that that process is so hard on us? If we know it's coming, and we know it's a part, and it's unavoidable and predictable, why is it so hard on us emotionally? A lot of other ways. You know, that's a key question, guys. It's a key question. Why is this thing that we go through so hard on us? And, and I, I was one of the worst. Um, obviously, folks, there are some false assumptions somewhere. And what I want to do is try to point out some of those false assumptions this morning. But um, one, the reason that it's so hard on us is because we... Um, um, we, we, we go into it or uh, develop in our days of our youth. We develop some false assumptions. Again, the, um, the crisis is really rooted in, in the way people interpret things. Sin has not only affected what we do, it affects the way we think. And, uh, and if allowed... You know, sin can reduce us all to a bunch of fools. And for many of us, that foolishness becomes apparent somewhere around midlife. Now, guys, I don't know when midlife starts and when it begins. Um, I don't know the brackets of the... But sociologists will tell you that uh, they kind of identify ages 40 to 55, somewhere in there. It's in there that um, a crisis erupts that we really didn't see coming. We had been warned about it, told about it, read about it, but it really overtook us nonetheless. Um, It's not a midlife crisis as much as it is a crisis of the heart. Midlife exposes a person... that. Exposes what a person has been living for. It's that period that, um, that arrives in all of our experiences that we begin to see some of the flaws in our thinking. It begins to show us the kinds of things that we've been living for, uh, where we've sought meaning and purpose, and, 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 and a plethora of other little issues that we get confronted with. If anything... A midlife crisis is a crisis of desire. Um, For instance, what makes life worthwhile for you? Um, What dreams have tended to capture your heart? Uh, What are you convinced that you simply cannot live without? Where do you seek to find your identity? Why is one day something you call good and another one you call bad? What issues led to that? Um, What is it in life that you crave the most? Well, my point is, midlife is a time where those questions and others like them seem to be posed in a more real and noticeable way. It's not the, the age group that is the crisis. It is that that period is the period that we normally get exposed. Our faulty thinking becomes at least more clarified for people who perhaps have ignored it for the first 40 years. Again, what I'm saying is that what we call a midlife crisis is really a crisis that began in our youth that's when we begin to form some some assumptions which simply are not true like the assumption of invincibility which is one of those key false assumptions guys that we're somehow invincible and and we arrive in our 20s and and that doesn't do much to change our conviction that we're invincible. I mean, you know, we might have a baby or, I mean, y'all might have a baby or it might change the way your body looks a little bit, but, you know, physically you're still quite a specimen. And in our, in our 30s arrive, you know, and in, in subtle and not so subtle ways, we begin to um, experience the death of, of that myth of invincibility. And yet we're good, I think, in, the, in those years of uh, hiding our own selves from the truth. We're we're, we're good at lying to ourselves. You know, our backs begin to ache, and it's, um, well, I just played too much racquetball. You know, I just overdid it. Or, um, you know, the pants don't fit, and and it's the cleaner's fault. You know, they shrunk them. Or uh, those crow's feet. Ah, it's bad lighting in the bathroom. You know, I just need to get some new bulbs in here. That's not that We lie to ourselves, folks. Um, Just so that we can hold on to this myth, a false assumption, when in fact down deep we know it's a lie. Now guys, that's the first thing that our text says as it relates to this whole subject of midlife archaeology. It says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now guys, I understand that in this context, in, in which verse 25, it's referring to the whole pagan world. But I'm trying to use it to elucidate the whole... Midlife issues. And what midlife does is expose the fact that in our youth, we exchanged. We exchanged some truth. And in its place, we chose to believe some lies. Um, I I, I want you to know, my, my point is, I think, is not so much that you're not invincible. You know, you know that. I don't need to convince you. Uh, you know, we 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 uh, we act like we are and and throw life around like sometimes like we are. You know, we we hear of all the shark attacks on the coast, but uh, you know, we're back out to uh, uh, shoulder deep water, and uh, those sharks are going to get me. You know. <laughs> I think the point that I want you to get is, my friend, you are dependent. At 16, at 26, at 36, at 46, at 56, at 66, at 76, and 86, you're dependent. And um, that is not something that we like to um, meditate about and don't do much of it until there's a period in our life that forces us to. And then we get some of our false thinking exposed. We believed a lie instead of the truth, and that's one of the reasons why aging is so traumatic on us. Why is it so difficult? Well, there's one of the reasons. One of the reasons is we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We exchange certain things, certain uh, truth, that is that we're dependent upon the God who gave us life. We're dependent upon Him. And we exchange that for some kind of, you know, I am woman, watch me roar kind of silliness. And then we arrive at a certain period in our lives and we're all traumatized by it and wonder why. And we call it a midlife crisis when it's really not that at all. What it is, is a crisis of heart. A crisis of desire. A crisis of changing that which was true into a lie and adopting the lie. Secondly, that is, why is this so hard on us? Why is this aging thing so difficult for us? Secondly, you know, we we live in a culture that is obsessed with the human body. Now, I'm not talking about sexuality, folks. I'm just talking about an obsession with the, with the human body. But, but, but think about it. You know, um, um, once a culture has become almost completely secularized, like ours is, what's left? I mean, if you live in a completely secularized society, what's left other than... Um, um the body and all of its senses life is reduced to a um, to a physical person living in a physical world and all i got left is some kind of gratification of the senses that i find contained in this physical thing that i got You know, guys, uh, this might this won't surprise you at all, but you can find websites galore that will promise you eternal youth or at least an extension on it, if you'll just buy their products. Uh, or you can um, pursue the whole body re-sculpting industry. You know, Michael Jackson had 16 of those things. Um, your eyes, your chin, your lips, your forehead, your ears, your breast, your abdomen, your thighs, your calves—they can all be reshaped. Repeatedly, numerous times. If you don't like that one? Do it again. Uh, I, I, this I did find staggering. In 2001, this is four years ago, 8,470,363 cosmetic surgeries in America, <laughs> not including Botox, all of which are not covered by insurance. 8,470,363. <laughs> oh, my. My. You know, um, my wife and I were told a story about a, a lady that teaches a Bible study uh, out in a certain well-known city in our country. She teaches a women's Bible study. And all these women were coming in and they, were, they had all these, um, you know, these bandages over their eyes and bandages over their, you know, all that business. And, and um, this woman, I mean, this teacher of the Bible study, went up, this woman, one woman said something about, oh, we had a little problem, a car accident. She said, oh, no, honey, I had a little plastic surgery on me. And um, she said, oh, no, kidding. And the one said, oh, yes, we just call this good hygiene. Good hygiene. Well, that's not what I call it. And maybe maybe you call it good hygiene, folks, but some of us call it a very sad misemphasis where appearance is valued over character Um, because we live in a world that is... Crazed with appearance. Now, add to that the whole notion that a productive, honest day's work is nothing more than a means to an end. Um, it's not that the, that the productive, honorable work is something that glorifies God, which is thus an uh, ends in itself. No, no, no. The the the, um, the job has been something that has been defined as has now become something that is simply a means to an end. And the the end, of course, is um, my right to play. Work is viewed as as the price that you got to pay to get the leisure that we so um, that we really are living for. We live for weekends. And so, guys, in a, in a pleasure-obsessed culture, which oh is over-emphatic about appearance, in that culture, you're going to find that all the inconveniences and all of the, um, the blips on the radar screen are going to be very much unwelcome. That is, this aging process that includes all these little things Uh, Because I live in a culture that that is pleasure-obsessed and emphatic about how I look, anything that interrupts those two things is not going to be welcomed in any way by me. None of that's going to be... It's it's all going to be hard. Much harder than it should be. Because I'm pursuing something else, and this inevitable process, has begun to interrupt, number one, my determination to play and my obsession with appearance. All of those, those inconveniences and those minor little embarrassments um, that come along in the midlife period. Um, that's why it's so hard, folks. That's uh, that's why we find this period something we call a crisis. And, and so this is what you find um, so often in this culture. You find people who talk about being on their third round of the Atkins diet. Or um, a wife and a mother who spends way too much time and money, money and energy on her personal cosmetology. Um you, you know, you, you go to an attic, somebody's attic and, or garage, and it's a graveyard of exercise equipment. You, uh, you spend way too much money on clothes so that we can keep up and look hip. We uh, go out and, well, I'll say this again, I got crucified the last time I said this. You go out and you buy a motorcycle, and not because you want to ride on two wheels, but you're trying to hold on to your youth somehow. Um, you've stood in front of that mirror time and time again, and you've pulled back the skin you know, to see how it would look if you had all that lifted. Um, you dress younger than is appropriate. Or you seek the uh, the company of people who are half your age. You um, you say that your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life, but you have, in fact, and you know it, invested far more time and energy and money on your physical self than in your soul. You um, you subtly struggle. With, um, with envy towards those who are younger and more attractive. Now, all of that, ladies and gentlemen, to try and help you understand a fatal mistake that is mentioned in Romans one twenty-five, and I want you to see it, a culture that has false assumptions about youth and beauty and leisure. Look at the text. It says, you exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, the, cre- the creature rather than the creator. Gang, the tendency in the human heart is to replace the spiritual with the physical. That's the fatal flaw there. You, you worship the creature rather than the creator. We replace the spiritual with the physical. And when that happens, the results the results are predictable. Um, appearance will trump character every time. It doesn't make any difference what she's doing, what kind of person she's long oh she's got to look. Personal pleasure will trump purity of heart every time. Material things, far more important than spiritual realities. A love of a person replaces one's love of God. The present is far more important than eternity. Gang, we were not designed to live for the scene, for the physical, for the temporal. There, there's a terrible cost for that exchange. That, that is the exchange that you find here in verse 25. Um, part of the cost is that the physical is impermanent. Did you happen to read this article yesterday? It's really kind of, it's tragic. But the groove is gone. Read this. This is the woman that wrote the book that uh, a big seller. I didn't read. I've not read this one. Uh, the the bestseller, "How Stella Got Her Groove Back," and it was a box office sensation. Um, it, it got turned into a movie, you know. And um, the um, the woman, um, her name is MacMillan, I think. Um, you know, finds this guy on the beaches of some place and. And she ends up marrying him, and he's 30 years old, and and uh, now she's turned. He's turned out to be a homosexual. And um, now she said she's so embarrassed. I am humiliated that I have told the world that I got my groove back. Um, it's it's this kind of disillusionment that is that is the result of exchanging the physical for the spiritual. Because the physical is temporary. And and just about the time you think you got your groove back, (laughs) you find out that you're married to a homosexual. (laughs) I mean, it's, 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 it's tragic. But guys, understand. I hope you understand my point. It's the result of replacing the spiritual with the physical. Making the emphasis on... The physical, as opposed to the spiritual, because the physical is impermanent. The physical is also deceptive. You know, um, it, it promises me gold and gives me fool's gold, and the pearls it promised are paste. The physical is impersonal, and as it is, because it is, it's dry as dust. And then we wake up one day. And we wonder, why am I so unhappy? And then in response to our unhappiness, we make some of the most terrible decisions. Like, I need a fling. Another woman, another man. I need something. And we go out and buy things. And we go out and plan trips so we can get our groove back. Gang, midlife is not the crisis. What midlife does is simply expose what Romans one twenty-five warned us against. Exchanging the physical for the spiritual. So um, sin wants us to believe that that we're in control, and midlife proves to us that we're not. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing, gang. So uh, the remedy for such a thing. The remedy is to put God in the place where he belongs. And that is as the highest loyalty of your life. It is to make sure that my, all of my priorities and all of my values are, are grown out of spiritual truth as opposed to physical emphases. I, it doesn't matter how old you are. Now is the time to put God in the place that he belongs. And and practically speaking, guys, the, the ramifications of that are enormous. For instance, your weekends do not belong to you. None of your time belongs to you. Your money, it doesn't belong to you either. Um, people become my priority as opposed to things. I begin to ask the question, how can I live my life most strategically for Jesus Christ? That's what it's going to mean. When God is enthroned in the place that He should have been all along, understand The consequences of exchanging a truth for a lie. And the emphasis upon the creature instead of the creator. Guys, that is the reason that we all of a sudden wake up and discover, I'm in a crisis. Yeah, you are. But it's not a midlife crisis a spiritual crisis. And the remedy is to be found in establishing Jesus Christ as the highest priority and loyalty of your life. No matter how old you are. If you haven't done that, do it now. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that these um, insights would be helpful as we try to order our lives in a in a way that would please you. We pray that you will be, um, that you'll get glory from the way that we flesh out the use of our time, the use of our money, the way we treat people, um, the way we serve Jesus Christ. Oh God, forgive us that uh, youth taught us a lot of things, but some of the things it taught us were wrong. And um, we've been living based on those false assumptions for too long, and now we discover they didn't work. Help us put our house into order as as we worship the Creator as creatures who are utterly dependent upon Him. We make our prayer, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord.